Well, we are so glad you are with us today and joining with you. Uh, I invite you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7 today. And uh, I don't know about you, but I get songs kind of stuck in my head and in my heart as I'm going through things. Sometimes they're, they're stupid little songs. Um, you know, if you've ever been a fan of Roger Miller, you, you know, you know, you can't roller skate in a buffalo herd. Um, I grew up riding trucks with my dad singing that song. But other songs are a little bit more uh, worthy. And uh, I, I can't get out of my head and in my heart the declaration of the song that we sang last week, Is He Worthy? by Chris Tomlin. In all that's going on, is He worthy? In all the brokenness, is He worthy? And in, in the response that He is, and it is, and all the, the back and forth of that song just keeps playing, playing through. And it's one thing to sing a song, it's another thing to believe what it says. And the reason... I kind of share that is I believe this morning that, that we, we look at all the things that are going on in the world. You know, all the questions, all the brokenness, all the division, not just now, but throughout history because we're, we're not experiencing anything really new. But we have to answer this question. In, in all the context of my life, in your life, in the collective life of our community, in our nation, in our world, we must answer the question, is God worthy to be praised? And then we have to follow that with the question of, why is it that you say that answer? Whatever that answer is, you know, or the... Why is it that it's there? Because as we look at our text today, I believe in my heart, now there are different commentators will say why David was at this part in, in his life and thinking these things, but I believe that maybe this question is where David is at. Because after a life of constant huge events, whether it be, you know, just taking on the bear and the lion or Goliath or, or following Saul or running from Saul or battles or all the different parts that are part of David in, in his life. It seems that all of a sudden, David finally gets to take a breath. And he comes out in this new capital city and another uh, king has built this palace for him. And he comes out, and, and in my mind, he's, he kind of walks out on a, on a veranda of some sort of patio, a back deck, whatever you want to call it. And he's, you know, because the palace would have been put on one of the higher spots in, in the city, he, he's looking out over his kingdom per se. 
and he starts in his heart and realizes that he has a project to participate in, new project to take on. And so in verse 2 of chapter 7, he's just called in Nathan, who this is the first time we've learned of Nathan, but he is a prophet, he's a confidant, he's, he, he's someone that David trusts. And he, he says, something's kind of bothering me. And I, and I want to take this on. So he, he says, while I live in a house of cedar, the ark of God lives in a tent. And, and maybe it's better to understand this, that David's home, his house, is a stable, permanent, and secure structure. And the ark of the covenant the, sim- the very symbol of God's presence amongst His people is housed in a tent that is anything but stable. Anything but permanent. And David understands tents. He's lived in tents most of his life up to this point. And so David's intent is he wants to build a house a temple for God in Jerusalem. And so he communicates his plans to Nathan, and since God has, up to this point, always seemed to be very pleased and blessing of David and what's going on in his life, everything that he's attempted, he's had success, Nathan says, go for it. Kind of a no-brainer to me. I mean, if the king wants to build a house for God, who's going to tell him no? And so, that night though, Nathan goes to bed. And he hears from God, God's plans for David. And he gets checked. And he hears this message that he is now getting to go to, he's told to go to communicate to David and it's not what Nathan expected. And so in verses 5-7, through seven, we, we encounter this message to David from God through Nathan. And God corrects David by reminding him that he never asked for this. When it comes to the issue of building a temple, David doesn't need to restore something that was, has been broken down and or once was and should be again. David doesn't need to meet a requirement that God has asked some other prophet, priest, or king, or leader of, of, of his people and, and has failed to meet. No, God gives Moses the instructions, in fact, to build the tabernacle. And God has been content to be within that as he moved along with his people wherever they have gone. So on one hand, it seems that God is kind of pleased with David in in this request. But on the other hand, God wants to remind David not to get ahead of himself. So just because God has blessed David in all these ways and all these times, it, it doesn't mean that his plans are always exactly what God wants nor that his ideas will always be established. And so he needs to slow down. He needs to listen to God. 
which is an important reminder not just for David, but for us. Don't get ahead of God. God's got the big picture. And so in verses 8-11, through in this continued message, God seeks to comfort David at the same time. Some would say, well, he's kind of rebuking David. No, it's, it's more of an understanding of he wants to do two things. He wants to remind David of how God himself has been faithful to David. And he wants to encourage David in regard to how he will continue to be faithful. It's a reminder, he took David out of the, out of the shepherd's field and has placed him as a ruler over Israel. As a king, we would say. It was him, it was God himself who gave David success. And so God wants to point to the pattern of his blessing on David's life. And the pattern of his faithfulness. His pattern of grace that has marked David's life over and over and over again. And then in verse 9, God encourages David by promising him that this pattern will continue. That God will continue to exalt David. But not just because of what David is David, or not because of what David is doing, but that because God's blessings always flow down from God's King to God's people. So the second half of verse 9 begins with what is referred to as the Davidic covenant. The promises God gives to David and his descendants, and as a result, to God's people. So in verses 11 through 17, God sets a covenant with David. Now, I know covenant isn't a normal word that we use on a regular basis, but it's nothing new. Even at this point in Scripture, there there have been several major covenants between God and, and, and people the, the covenant with Noah pertained to all creation. I will not destroy my creation again. Uh, co- he makes a covenant with Moses, which was a, con- a conditional covenant uh, mediated by Moses on behalf of God's people, the Israelites. That if you'll do this, then I will be this. But this one, this one's more like Abraham's covenant, which include a promise of land and descendants, not because of what Abraham would do, but because of who God is. And so David, regardless of what he's done or can do, that's not as much as what it is about what God can do. We started this chapter with David's intention to build a home for God. But now, only 10 verses later, not only is that not to happen under David's watch, but God is going to build a house for David instead. And you may wonder, well, wait a minute. David walked out of his house. He walked out of the palace. as As he's looking at this and trying to do this, he already has a house. What's God going to do? Another building project? No. Same word. Same exact word, in fact. 
but instead of a dwelling, a structure. When God says it, He's saying, I'm going to build a family. I'm going to build a dynasty that starts and will not end. Not because of you, because of me. It really comes back down to the old saying, you know, what makes a house a home? It's not the brick and mortar. It's the people inside. And so the house that God's going to build is going to be a family of kings. And in verse 12, we get these key verses. And I invite you to read along with me. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I loved from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. These promises that God is giving isn't about what David has done at this point. It's, it's purely about God. It's, it's not even really about Solomon, even though he's, he's, he's a direct re- recipient of it. And, and he will build the temple, but this is all about God and what he can do in these, as God sets forth this plan that really looks all the way down time to Jesus. The key here is that David's house will not end with his death. For Saul, when, when Michael never had child, it meant that the line died there. And so with David, it's not going to end. God, God promises to raise up David's offspring to succeed him and he will demonstrate his love as he disciplines them when they sin. He says they're going to screw up. But I'm going to love them anyway. I'm going to use other people to help give them a swift kick. But I'm going to love them anyway. I'm not going to forget them. As a result, I'm not going to forget you. He will always love them regardless of their behavior. So So David's house is going to endure forever. Time does not change God's plans for the house of David. This covenant is an unconditional promise of God. One pastor described it as Yahweh's promise to David is unalterable because death, death does not annul it, sin cannot destroy it, and time will not exhaust it. This covenant isn't about David. It's not about Solomon. It's not about any of his other sons as much as it is about God's faithfulness to his people. David and his sons are a vehicle for God's blessings. 
Don't, don't miss this. God's blessing on David's kingship is not going to be stopped even by his death because David's son is going to receive and, and falls under God's blessings. And even if that king disobeys God, and it, he does. Spoiler alert. Solomon screws up. He, get, he gets his eye off the ball. He screws up in a lot of ways. Destroys the United Kingdom that David establishes. But God is not going to reject him. He will discipline him. And so how long will David's house endure? Verse 13, forever. Verse 16, forever. Verse 16 again, forever. Are you following me? What does it mean? It means at the, at the very least, God means that I will in some way always have a king from David's line in the throne of God's people. And even when the period of exiles happened for the northern tribes, they end up in Assyria and the southern tribes end up in Babylonia. And everybody's going, wait a minute, what happened? We're supposed to have God's always working. We see in the moment God sees for all time. In Isaiah 11, written in the time of the exile, it says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now you may be wondering, why, why do we really need to know this? Why is it important that we know this agreement between God and David? It's because even though David doesn't appear to be motivated trying to get something from God by wanting to do this, God turns the common temple building pattern that, that isn't a new thing. Most people, most kings in this time would, would build temples to their God in an effort to try and receive more blessing. And God's going to say, I'm going to bless you regardless. Because it's not about what you do, it's about what and who I am. It's about His blessings are, are ultimately all about grace. God wants to make it abundantly clear that David can't do anything for Him. It's about what, how much God has done, is doing, and will continue to do. David, who wanted to be the house builder, couldn't, could never be tempted to believe that he did something to earn God's amazing favor. Even his son Solomon, who did build the temple, has to point to God's promise instead of his own initiative. God wanted to make it abundantly clear that he is in every, in, in always be, be, will be for all times the house builder. He is worthy to be praised. It's a good thing to want to give to God. It's a good thing to want to bless God. It's a good thing to love God. But we can never forget that we can never outgive God. We can never outbless God. And you can never outlove God. 
what God has done, is doing, and will do for you should always drive us away from temptations to boast in how religious and, and spiritual we are in our efforts. And it should always draw us to humility and gratefulness and worship in light of God's amazing promises. He is worthy. There's more to this than simply the fact that the God of David is the God that we worship as well. Some might be tempted to believe that this is simply a, a promise to one family to related to old crowns and old thrones and, and long-destroyed kingdoms. I mean, who has time for that? To worry about old politics when it's hard enough to keep up with the ones we have today. But 2 Samuel 7 is much more than some just interesting but isolated promise to an old king. The fullness of God's Word to David is completely realized in Jesus. Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus is not simply just another king in a perpetual line of covenant kings. Jesus is the destination. Jesus was where the promise was headed and Jesus is where it continues. There are no kings after Jesus because death does not conquer Christ. It doesn't end the reign of His throne. The king who conquered death and His reign is extended as it continues to extend and will extend beyond any long forgotten borders or thrones of man. Jesus is Lord of all. King of kings. He is worthy of the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So how should this affect us? Well, remember, God's blessings on God's kings flow down to God's people. When you come to this King, when you come to Jesus, He gives you, like David, grace upon grace, upon grace. Jesus wants you to know and enjoy and be blessed by this grace-filled, covenant-giving God. And at the end of the day, this means that God is the one who gives promises that last forever. He does not change. Even though it's the last thing we often deserve, we often and more than likely deserve the kick in the tail instead of the blessing of God. But His love continues. And so there are three simple things that we can take away this morning. First of all, if you've not received the blessings of God's King, I prompt you, I, I urge you, reach out to Jesus. Come to Christ. Put your faith in Him. He died to open wide the covenant that it wouldn't be related to a genetic line, but to all who would put their faith in Him. That we, as Paul states, have been grafted into the vine that receives God's blessings. Your only task is to put your faith in Christ and what He has done. 
Secondly, if you have trusted Christ as your only hope, our, your job is to continue to rejoice in the promised grace that was given, is given, and will continue to be given. It's not about what you do. It's about what God has already done. Continue to live into that. And that's the third, really guard your heart against ever allowing what you've done or, or think you will do to think that it's a, it should be a thing of pride. Don't get ahead of God. Cling to His Word. Stay humble. Stay grateful. Savor God's promises and through all and everything that you do, say, think, are. Out of receiving God's blessings, His forgiveness, His redemption, His offers of grace and mercy because of His love, we live and we declare and we sing and we celebrate He is worthy. I wasn't planning on this, but would you just sing with me? I hope I get all the words right. He is worthy of it all. He is worthy of it all. Through all things, He all things, He receives the glory. That's what happens when you don't prepare it. The message is there, though. He is worthy of it all. Of it all. Forever and ever and ever again. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I may get the words wrong. Often I do. But my heart sings in thankfulness to You. Not because of who I am or what I do or where I am and in the things of this world, but purely because of who You are that never changes. You are worthy. You are worthy in the midst of all the brokenness, all the celebrations, all the crying, all the everything of this world. God, You are worthy for us to come to You. And when You discipline us like a father, may we receive it well. Because we know in Your love that You seek the best. That You continue to call us to be holy for You are holy. That one day, we will be reunited with You. That one day we will celebrate and sing with the angels. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So as we depart today, may we be reminded that we do not depart your church, for we go as your church to be recipients of Your mercy, 
and dispensers of your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. God's blessings on you. Have a great day.